You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic Podcast Show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. Welcome to another episode where we're going to talk about something a little more lighthearted, one might say, than last week's episode, which Hmm. I've got to say, we've had some really great feedback about. uh, Carissa and I have just jumped on today. We haven't had a chat, so I'm not sure if you have had anything that's come your way, but I've had a lot of clients this week hit me up and tell me how much they enjoyed your episode. Um, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, yeah right. Actually, I've, yeah, I've had um, I've had a couple of clients just reach out to me on social media, and then obviously um, a couple of um, people commented on our post, which I loved as well. So, Didn't they? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. There were some beautiful so, comments. Yeah. Like, thank you so much for those of you that left those lovely comments on the podcast mm. post. Like, it was just. Yeah, it was so nice. And I think th- some of those comments and one or two of my clients, which I just thought oh, would make you so happy to hear, not only did they say how much they enjoyed it, but it made them think about taking action themselves just in regard awesome. to their that own situation. So I just, yeah, so- knew you would love that. Yeah. It's so funny, like after you do a podcast like that too, like you're fucking anxiety creeps into because obviously for me like I know not everyone and it's fine because everyone's so different but I'm not a big sharer of Mm. personal stuff um, on social media at all or on our podcast like I keep a lot of my stuff pretty like people that I know know about it and a lot of my clients I'll talk to personally about it but after we did that podcast and it dropped I had like a few days of feeling really anxious about how really taken yeah because I was just like fuck I hope I didn't come across like I was, you know, um, like what the fuck is the best way to say this? Like minimizing other people's experiences that have actually gone through breast cancer. Do you know what I mean? And and like, you know, you just have all this self doubt about, because I know the message I was trying to get across, but then, you know, it's just my anxious brain goes through all the things like, should you have exploited your own? I feel like did I exploit my own story to, you know, and just, you know, just all the ways that you're just like, fuck, I I didn't want to listen to it. I didn't even want to share it on my stories. Oh, wow. I just, I kind of went into this like, fuck, 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 fuck sort of thing about it. But I just, I've tried to just let it go. So it is nice to hear that, that, yeah, like obviously- you know me well enough to know that the only way I would come at anything like that is just to help other people and just hopefully share a message. But yeah, obviously the, what's that self-doubting thing called where you're like imposter syndrome or something that comes in and you're just like. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing to hear. And like, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I think like you're so genuine and that comes across in everything that you do. And I know some of the people who left such beautiful comments are, people who have struggled themselves with breast cancer and that's why it touched them even more. So yeah, like I totally get it. I totally yeah. like yeah. whenever you open yourself up and you're vulnerable like that, particularly if it's not in your nature, like 
and I would be the same, you know, I'm just the same as you, if not worse (laughs) with that side of things. So yeah, as soon as you kind of open yourself up like that, it just is, you just feel very, very vulnerable and you can start to question. So yeah. yeah, A a lot lot of questioning. (laughs) Well, you should proudly share it. (laughs) I think I will. I think I will. Like I have obviously had a bit of time to think about it as well. Like obviously a few other things going on, but um I've had a few other things and I do I 100% like I think next year once I have a bit of time off over I do want to set a bit of a space up in that where I don't know whether it's a package we open through the clinic or just even like some stuff that I focus on with social media but mm-hmm. it's interesting since that podcast has come out I didn't actually realize but it's breast cancer awareness month um, oh and we yeah, I never think, are on top of that are we, we are so no. bad with what month it is no. what day it is with all the things that go on so I don't actually know if it's in Australia I think it must be in Australia but because I follow a couple of you know US and mm-hmm. European platforms as well and podcasts but all of a sudden there's been this influx of stuff even on um, the Dutch podcast which is just short um, sharp bits of information but they've mm-hmm. got people talking about the preventative space for breast cancer right and it's, I was just like I haven't listened to the podcast yet because they've literally dropped it this week but it, and that's what made me click I was like oh shit and then I saw something else saying it was breast cancer awareness month and I was like oh so I was kind of like perfect timing for the podcast to drop but I do think like I do want to really, because I'm going to go and get my first mammogram next year. I'm about mm-hmm. my, so I just want to kind of like, yeah, just tap into the space a bit more and mm-hmm. just make it more of a conversation amongst women, I think, because yeah. I don't think it is enough. But anyway, that's what yep. we're talking about today. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, if you haven't listened to that episode, please just go back one and listen. Um, I want to tell you the title, but Damien's taken my phone. I, I want to say it's when estrogen goes rogue, but it's not that because that's what I we wanted to call it. it. Yeah. Can you remember the name we called it? It was like the... navigating breast cancer prevention or something. It was along those lines. Something like that, guys. But you, you know like it. That. You'll see it. It's got Carissa's story written on it. So, yeah, please go and listen. Um, but today, so today, oh, FYI, today. for those who are watching on YouTube, do you like my jumper? My mum knitted it from scratch. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> it's cool, right? My- I, I feel, feel like, like I'm wearing a blanket. Have, if it wasn't so warm here, I'd have my beanie. My mum made me a beanie and she custom designed it with a hole so I can put my bun at the top. Oh my God. Is it? It's not yeah, like right I, there, is it? I, I can go get it. Get, um, how, how long will it take you? <laughs> literally, it's in the bathroom because it's packed. Go run and get it so those on YouTube can watch and see it. I'm sorry, guys, but I have to see this and this will also encourage you to pop on over to YouTube and watch this live now too because our podcasts are going up on YouTube so we can be a little bit more um, visual with what we're talking about. Whoop, here we go, here we go. How good are our mums, by the way? Mum is like the mad knitter for all the kids. So this is just the beanie. So it folds up and I can give you guys a demo. But see, because I won't wear beanies because I can't have my hair down around my neck. It's like this annoying thing. It gets itchy, yeah. Yeah, and it just kind of – and anything too much over my ears makes me feel claustrophobic. But if I can roll it up and have my hair on top of my head, I'm totally fine. So I said to mum, they need to design a beanie. <laughs> Guys, for those who aren't on YouTube and watching, so imagine a tea cosy where the hole, the hole. is at the top and Chris is holding onto a ponytail to put it on and pulling it So you just thread it through. the top. Oh, my God, look at it. That is fantastic. Isn't it the best? Wow. And then she's wrapping it it up into a bun now on top. So so for everyone that's used to seeing a beanie with a pom-pom on top, your bun just becomes the (laughs) pom-pom. I can't wait till Steph sees this. 
Our receptionist, Steph, is going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> See? That's so cool. <gasps> wow. I love it. So how good are our mums? They're so good. So talented. <laughs> is yours made out of wool, like proper wool? Yeah, 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 100%. Nice. It's, it's got that like initial itch that you just, I'm just settling into it now. I'm like, but I think I'm okay. Gets me around the neck the worst. Yeah, I'm a neck person as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, don't think it about be, it, don't think really about nice. it. <laughs> and I just don't think you think about the skill that goes into knitting. Like I watch my mum when she knits and crochets and oh. just like, even I can see with your jumper, you're, you've got one thing that's the neck the neck mm-hmm. line, the neck pattern, the sleeves are different. And then the yep. front face, that's all different stitching skill. Like yep. just don't appreciate that. I think anyone that everyone, anyone that buys their knits and stuff just from Kmart, for example, or, you know, as opposed to something that's actually handmade by yep. someone in different panels and then hand stitched together. It's ridiculous as a talent. I can't do it. I lose. Well, if anyone's listened Maybe to this podcast for ages, I'll know that I have a little bit of a uh, short temper for anything that is fidgety and I always used to take my necklaces into the clinic to get Carissa to take the knots out of them so me and knitting oh, bad 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 combination anyway <laughs> let's get into today's podcast again. <laughs> which is completely unrelated what we wanted to talk about and I flag this one with Carissa this week is food diversity and sharing with you guys tips for achieving diversity and the reason it came to light for me this week. I mean, it's something we see all the time, but I've had quite a few clients this week who I would say are still definitely eating a whole food diet and eating balanced meals. But what they're not doing is eating diversity. And it's super common because we get stuck in ruts with food where we are used to the same breakfast and the same lunch and very similar dinners and we repeat that pattern week after week, month after month, no matter what the season is, due to how available food is. So a really common one um, that you might see is like someone doing the same smoothie, whether it's January, May or back around to December, January. So that repetitiveness of the same food all the time um, is something that we're trying to encourage a bit of movement from and a bit of diversity. And yeah, it popped up a lot for me this week. And I was like, hey, I think we should talk about this as a topic. I know we've covered it in all different realms of different topics, but we haven't, I think, to date talked about it in specific detail itself. So we're going to cover why diversity is important. Um, And then we want to talk about what we see in testing. So when we do functional testing in the clinic, what we see with those results that can imply a lack of diversity, and then what we would do to create diversity from there. So practical tips, whether you've, I guess, from a testing perspective, but also just generally. um, And that's the meat of the podcast, which you guys usually love the most. It's us brain dumping our tips and tricks. (laughs) So we'll get started with why diversity is important. Oh, what a big question, right? It's like, where do you start? (laughs) It kind of is, but we can kind of just like sum it up and just go, because you need a healthy, diverse diet for a healthy microbiome. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) So 
there's there is so much research on the microbiome um, which continues to be released week to week month to month Um, we've talked a lot before about how it's an evolving space it'll continue to be involving space the biggest kind of concrete element you can pull from microbiome testing today is that diversity is key the more rich and abundant and diverse the diet is, um, the more rich and abundant and diverse the microbiome is. And the microbiome diversity is linked with better health outcomes. So at the end of the day, that's what we're aiming to achieve because that gut is the the seat of our well-being, which used to be such a woo-woo thing to say 10, 15 years ago. But now we have the science to back that up. So what we're wanting to achieve is overall this rich abundance of diversity within the gut. And that's without even thinking about it from a nutritional point of view, because the other side of this is if you have a rich and diverse and abundant diet, you also have a rich and diverse and abundant nutritional pool. So that means all of your vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals, there's more of a chance that you're getting everything that you need every day, day to day. So we're going to, we'll definitely talk about that today, but I think our angle is going to be more so about the gut and the diversity um, of the gut and then the health outcomes from there. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything you wanted to add to that as far as the why um, impo- it's no, important. I- I think that's perfect. I think we could just segue um, straight into like exactly what you were saying, like 10 to 15 years ago, this was more of a, a woo-woo thing and that whole eat the rainbow, which we kind of joked about just before we jumped on, um, but the whole eat the rainbow, you know, eat a diverse diet, like, and it's good for your gut. Like we didn't, we, yeah, the literature just wasn't there in abundance enough and we didn't actually have the testing either to be able to kind of back the research up. Um, or vice versa but now we do and mm. that's what's kind of really cool so yeah so I think that's 100% the why but now that we've got this next level gut testing that has you know stepped onto the stage we can now actually have a look at diversity of species and richness within those species mm. in a microbiome test and we can now see then how that too plays into different you know um, health parameters that they test but also the the species themselves now and how diverse and rich they are in the gut is now so associated with health outcomes. Like it's just not even up for debate anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so if you go to a specialist and you've got a gut issue or something like that, and you tell you, they said you, it's not impacted by diet. I feel like we're now, in a playing field where if you have the balls to stand up and say, well, actually it is, <laughs> you're fucking right. <laughs> call bullshit. So, do a, do a Matthew bullshit. McConaughey call bullshit on it. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit, Kerry. Sex the City quote yeah. there. I call bullshit. <laughs> I call bullshit. Um, you know, and I, I, I love that because I think, you know, it's, 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 it's been a challenge for, and it's not like let's get out a fucking violin story here, but it's been a challenge for holistic health practitioners in the space that we work in. And especially for us, because we stepped into the gut space out of uni and you've been in it way longer than I have, but it's a place that you and I are so passionate about. But you cop so much flack in our space about the gut microbiome and, you know, 
the space that space that we work in when sometimes you're dealing with you know the mainstream medical space like you know we how many times have we heard the story from our clients that you know someone with ulcerative colitis or something or whatever will go to their gastro and they and the gastro might just say oh it doesn't matter what you eat like it's not going to be impacted by this and it's just Mm -hmm. like man so you know that's part of the story but you know i think it's just now that we can actually test there's research coming out more than we can even keep up with about Mm -hmm. how important this space is but the research 100% is sitting in the realm of diversity is key. Like yep. that's it. Like that's mm-hmm. the message that is coming through time and time and time and time again. And when we're talking about diversity, we're not talking diversity of all whole shit, sugar-jacked processed foods. We're talking diversity of whole foods and fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we want to even tap into the research a little bit more about what is fundamentally driving a healthy microbiome, you know, a lot of the research is being done on plant fibers, plant chemicals, um, whether that be, you know, polyphenols, like that whole space, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory components, like that's where a lot of the research is being really, really heavily Mm. focused. So if you're someone who is not diversifying your plants, your grains, your starches, and all the fibers within those, your microbiome is not going to get the benefits and your body is not going to get the health benefits that it possibly can Mm. with, as you know, in context is all you know contrast to someone who is eating a very wide variety of plant fibers grain starches colors all the mm-hmm. things for so. sure and that's that's the other element that we are seeing now um becoming more and more apparent from a testing um point of view and also from a research point of view as far as why diversity is important but you're just mentioning like particular types of compounds in foods or particular types of foods versus even different types of patterns with different species as well within the gut where there's more and more research now going into that. And you just mentioned things like ulcerative colitis, but we we are definitely having more and more research come through where there's patterns of certain types of presentations of species and whether there is a higher outcome of say something like ulcerative colitis or whether there's certain patterns of species which are more anti-inflammatory so there's there's so much that's going into that too but again I think that overall umbrella again shows why that importance is there um but I'm I, I know I am and I know you are and very excited by those kind of further nuances as well maybe me a little bit more sometimes but like you know the little nuances of like the the finite details of what continues to come from a research point of view and that manipulation ideally of the microbiome through the food that we eat and certain types of fibers and polyphenols and so forth it's it's pretty magical um but yeah so some of that stuff is still so in its infancy which is very cool yeah, I was literally about to say the same thing, like with the level of testing that we have, you know, available to us now, like every time I, you get a new gut test through with this new metagenomic testing, there's species in there that are, there's still not even really data available for no. them, just being identified. Yeah. Um. So that's the other thing, like, you know, if the research and what we're seeing in terms of what stipulates and dictates a, stipulates anyway, whatever, <laughs> a healthy gut microbiome. Um, but we're still, and, and we know what we know now and, you know, certain parts of that may change, but, um, like with what's coming through and what we're further going to understand, like, I feel like we're just, and this is the stuff I know you and I both get excited about. We're just on the, 
cusp of this I think yeah. like just yeah you know like when you even just look at when you and I first started working together and we started using you know just the standard like we've talked about this in other podcasts but we literally got five species up on a stool yeah and we were we were culturing like we'd see lactobacillus plebs you know in the or lactobacillus maybe in us what else did we see in there the was bifido like, bifido oh, bacteria yeah. it was pretty much lactobacillus a couple of lactobacillus a bit of bifido Klebsiella, if it was there. Um, Citrobacter yeast, that, if it was yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was so and narrow, now, so narrow. And now we've got, and then we kind of stepped into PCR testing, and again, that was such a an awesome thing for us. But now that we're in this metagenomic space, yeah. and we're getting species lists that are just phenomenal, but also being able to go in and look at the data that surrounds mm. these different types of species and stuff like that is really exciting. Mm. But just the explosion of the stuff that we don't even know what its function is in the microbiome mm. yet. Like even for you and I, you know, like, and I, I see this in the test, in the metagenomic test, like someone who's got a beautiful, like I literally had a client the other day and she's probably a really good example because she's a nutritionist. No, I shouldn't say that, but just so happens <laughs> that she is. Um, <laughs> But we did a metagenomic test on her because she's got she's had IBS for 15 years, um, but she eats a beautiful diet. Mm-hmm. Like when we her and I first talked, like, but she she is all inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, she's uh, sorry, gluten free, but all inclusive of everything else. So there's yeah. no and nothing else is off the table. But has had IBS for 10, 10 to 15 years, but because of the way she eats, even though she's got GI symptoms, which the test alluded to, what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So we've got some stuff to work with now. But her diversity and richness in her gut and just her famicuity species list on that table and, like, it was just, it was so cool to see. I said to Mm. her, I'm like, you have got so many strengths in here. Like, just Mm. have a look at this. And I'm like, this is purely because despite of the fact that you've had IBS, you have powered on and eaten like a fucking champ. Yeah. Like, you have, you've kept all your goss foods in there. You've kept all, you know, your you know, your different types of gluten-free grains. You, mm. you you can just see she's got all of her brassicas, her different, you know, different types of brassicas, her beets, like vegetables, fruits. Like she just hasn't excluded anything. Yeah. And even though her gut hasn't been amazing, she's pushed on with this beautiful whole food, very diverse diet, and you see that in her microbiome test. Mm. And I'm like, look at this. Look. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> so true. But, yeah. So, well, so it's so cool. Yeah, that's mm. that's fantastic. And that's, yeah, it, it leads so well into exactly why we do test and the value of testing when it comes to diversity. Like that's such a good example. And I have like on the flip side, literally within the last 24 hours, a client that's a complete opposite to that mm-hmm. where they have a very narrow diet um, and they've also not had the best start to the year with how they've been treating themselves with what they've been consuming and how they've been treating their body overall so not only from a testing standpoint are we seeing a lot of inflammation as far as like functional markers but when it comes to the diversity and the richness of this client's microbiome it's very poor so we should explain too what we mean by diversity and richness so diversity means the diversity of the microbes within the gut. So we're looking for an overall abundance of a whole load of different, imagine, I'm going to try an analogy the hell out of this, <laughs> off the top of my head, imagine a vegetable garden, like a classic kind of permaculture garden where everything just grows wild and abundant and we've got 
everything growing. We're not like in there weeding every little bit out and only just going, okay, well, I'm only going to grow some leeks here and I'm a, I might grow some rocket. Like it's, it's just like abundance overall. So that diversity is there. But then richness comes down to how rich um, in volume are those species. So do we have just one or two leeks growing or do we have like a whole abundance of leeks or that rocket that like has self-seeded has now taken off and gone into this massive, beautiful, diverse patch, or sorry, rich patch. So it's like the richness of something we have um, and also the amount that we have. So this client diversity was really poor. So when we looked through her results, there was such a, a low amount overall um, of the diversity of species, but also the richness within them. So the species that were there, and there's still, it's not like she had nothing like microbiome testing, guys, if you, particularly if you look at the metagenomic testing, like it's, there's a, a whole load of data that's there. But with the species that we're looking at for her, the actual richness of them and the amount that, that was there was very poor, particularly with her beneficial bacteria. And that was very much equated to how she'd been eating and the lack of food that she'd been eating, the more processed sort of foods, um, grab on the go, more sort of refined foods that had been in her diet. Um, opposite to Chris's client where she was just saying like she was consuming an abundance of food, um, even though there's still some issues going on. So it's really like you can see both ends of the scales there and I can bet your bottom dollar. I mean, I don't know anything about Chris's client. She doesn't know about mine, but I can bet your bottom dollar that my client's probably in a lot more um, of a, I want to say like probably more, more of an inflamed um, um, ag- aggressive in, inflammatory sort of maybe symptom picture than Carissa's client because Carissa's client's got that lovely foundation that's there. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) and also I would say, again, I'm hypothesizing, but my client, because of how much of a lack of diversity and richness that is there, she has a lot more systemic issues going on. So not only is there gut issues, she's got a whole kind of bannet of issues going on which comes back to that concept of like the gut being the seat of our health and how much that plays a role in not only our gut health but our systemic health so yeah I just think it's um interesting even just to think about like what we see in clinic and how that plays out in in the presentation Mm -hmm. but the the testing itself um and what we see in testing is so valuable because one one, it tells us and helps us understand what's going on, of course, for the client in context, as always, with their his case history and what they're telling us as a person. But two, the other reason it's vital for us is that it helps us refine the specifics further with diet. So it will help us not only look at, well, of course, we're always talking about wanting you guys to eat a a whole food diet, lots of diversity and richness, which we'll get into. But what testing can tell us is that if we are quite low in certain types of species or a certain particular type of um, phylum, so I want to say group to keep it easy, which isn't technically right, but 
we have like a group of um, bacteria that we're seeing a lot of low growth in. We know as clinicians, there's certain types of foods um, and certain types of fibers, certain types of polyphenols, certain types of potentially anti-inflammatory compounds that we can use to support that in a more targeted way. And that is really, really exciting to us, but also helps us help you quicker and more specifically. So if we if we know again that we've got X, Y, and Z happening as far as how that microbiome is behaving, it helps us target the diet more specifically. And what we love about this is it's not about always what to take away. This is where it's more about let's talk about what to have more of. So yeah. um for example, this client I'm I'm talking about, like putting her treatment plan together, was very much about like, okay, this is what we're doing with your breakfast. These are all of the foods that we want to be rotating and using more of. This is what we're doing with your lunch meals. Can we be having more of this and this? And I know obviously for a very important reason, but it's also great because it's quite empowering. We've talked about this before too. It's very empowering for a client when they're doing something proactive besides maybe taking a supplement or two. They're just like, okay, now I'm helping myself every day, not just by going, well, I'm not going to eat this. It's like, wow, I can actively go out and buy and purchase these foods or grow these foods or pull them from the garden and know that I'm helping myself in a really positive way. So yeah, the testing, the testing is so valuable because it it's for me, it's those two pieces. It's like what's actually going on, but also how we can refine what we're seeing and channel that into your diet, Um, which is why we are always so passionate about food and individuality of food, because Mm. what suits one person, what suits my client this week will not suit Chris's client. Like there'll be a general overarching um, whole food kind of base that would be would absolutely be similar, but there'll be a good sort of 30% chunk of that that will be very different. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Like there's definitely will be some commonalities, but like the difference would be for my client, um, we were looking at reducing like her, so many other th- so many things were great, but she had like a um, methanogenic overgrowth mm-hmm. um, or, you know, potential to produce a lot and like that high sort of methane sort of reading. So we were looking at reducing the foods that feed into that mm-hmm. to help, you know, help her microbiome. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it is, it's just, but she, I'm imagining again, it's hard because again, we haven't even talked about our clients, but a take home from my client was even though she had some, you know, ex that methane production, you know, um, capacity and all of that for her microbiome, her hexa LPS, her, you know, all these other inflammatory markers were really, really fine. Do you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so it just, you know, whereas your client, I'm assuming, and I don't know, but again, yes, we could yes, hypothesize, yes. <laughs> yes, like, you know, I'm guessing like maybe high hexa LPS production, potentially some H2S as well. Um, you know, so it's just that difference of, you know, like you said, there's going to be a lot of commonalities between what we tell our clients to do, but it's that 30% of where we, you know, individualize things like most of us on our prescriptions, because we now know the importance of polyphenols in the diet and their influence on the microbiome, but also, you know, species like Akinensia and things like that. Like we're all telling our clients to increase Mm. polyphenols. Like Mm. that's, 
but you, we're not all telling our clients to reduce resistance starch or yep. increase resistance starch. Like that's where the, the differentiating factors come in for gut testing. But I was going to say something too there, like, and that's where the diversity factor to bring it back to that is so important because with your client and having probably more inflammatory markers and stuff, mm-hmm. like we've got two people that potentially have IBS or IBS yep. symptoms, but because my client's eating a really beautiful, diverse diet, mm. she's she's fed up those microbes that, yep. you know, are the little, I call them like the underdogs, you know, the little <laughs> ones that get all the limelight. But with the, with the if you focus on a really diverse diet within what you can eat, of course, but a really diverse diet, all of those little underdogs and those species that we're just starting to learn about and those ones that we don't even have, you know, mm. they've just been classified but we don't actually have any literature and data on them yet, they're the ones, like I know we know that there's all these other species doing these things but there's going to be all these other little guys in there too that are help maintaining that ph that inflammatory status that you know you know all of the good stuff that we want so that's where the diversity really shines as well because you can have two people with ibs but if one person goes down one road and narrows their diet or just doesn't deal with it but the other person manages it does the best they can with a whole food diet the outcomes for both of them will be so different so yeah no so um, true so so true I was going to say I've got my first carnivore diet test result this week. So I've had an so, an old an old client with an older test from that like a carnivore diet, but I definitely haven't with um, any of our current testing. But if you say you've got the results back this week, I've got them. I haven't I haven't looked at them yet. I've got yep. the consult with with um, that person this week. But yep. again, interestingly, like he's so proactive. Yep. He didn't go on a carnivore diet because it was trendy. He did it to manage health conditions. Yeah. As per the advice of you know different people and stuff, but now you know he's kind of stuck in this. This is mm. all I can eat space yep. so you know so yeah so it'd be interesting and that he's been doing that for two years so it'd be really wow. cool to look at yeah his test like give or take the few little you know lashes out that he's had here and there but pretty much maintained mm. a, a red meat diet for two years so so yeah really, I, have, I haven't opened his stool test yeah. to have a look yet but like we've got a lot of work to do I already know that but I'm yep. excited for that because the retest <laughs> the retest <laughs> exactly already excited about the retest <laughs> oh, can we retest every three months just so we can track this progress <laughs> you, got an, you got a credit card for testing that we can just use <laughs> I hope you're excited like this no oh. and you're so right just to touch on the, your like assumptions about my client there like they're bang on absolutely bang on um mm. and I guess I just want to touch on that because it influences how I'm going to treat this client as to how you'll treat your client so she does have a lot more of that inflammatory bacteria activity going on um so Chris mentioned a few things there, but essentially the hexa LPS we're dealing with, like we've talked about lipopolysaccharides before, but in a very basic nutshell, guys, like we're talking about these very inflammatory compounds that these back particular types of bacteria from a particular type of phylum or group of um, bacteria tend to produce more of, and that's something we can literally see with this testing. And then she was talking also about hydrogen sulfide. So again, a particular type of phylum, particular type of bacteria within that phylum have the propensity to produce hydrogen sulfide. So my client ticked both those boxes, which was really helpful for me to see, because then I know I need to target that specifically. Um, If it's not there, I'm not going to treat it. So 
it's very, um, again, very helpful as one, I know what's going on. Two, it changes how I treat. Um, mm. I didn't have any methane issues with this client. Interestingly, when we first started two years ago, um, she did have methane issues and had parasites and they're actually gone, which is great. It's just that life's been a bit unkind for her this year and we've just um, now seeing the results of that in her gut. So Hi guys, just a quick note to let you know, we are now offering $10 off my cookbook Eat for JCN podcast listeners only. So there is a new discount code you can use, JCN podcast, all one word in capital letters. Head to the website, the link is in the show notes and you just use that coupon code at checkout and that will give you $10 off. Really excited to bring you this. It's a way for us to say thank you for listening to the podcast. And again, that is JCN podcast, all one word, head to the website, link in the show notes. Yeah, the testing and the nuances, to use that word again, that it shows for clients and how we can treat with diet is just fantastic. And yeah, I know Carissa will froth over seeing this patients client um, as a carnivores treat um, putting together their treatment plan and seeing their test results because one I know like myself you'll have those expectations of opening that test result and expectation of what it sh- it'll probably look like um, and probably already thinking about right I'm gonna have to do this this and this but um, yeah. yeah there's nothing more exciting to than retesting and doing that work and seeing seeing that barren garden starting <laughs> to grow which is yeah. what we would expect is a very uh barren garden. Mm, exactly, exactly. Some dry dirt. Some dry some dry dirt with a few little weeds. Um, the other thing the other thing I just thought of while you were talking about that and it probably is worth mentioning in the context of some stuff that's going around um, with social media at the moment and valid stuff as well is um, there's a big spotlight on the use of antimicrobials at the moment mm. um, and berber- berberine in particular. I think we might have yep. talked about this in the podcast, but I know it's it's back on the stage at the moment. Um, and I think this too, where this too is too, where testing, I know we're not here to talk about testing today, but testing for diversity and you and I have always said this on podcasts, mm. like you're not going to use antimicrobials on someone who has been on a really restricted diet for a long period of time. Yeah. And, you know, especially to even with the testing that we could do, you know, we're, we're doing three years ago and five years ago and eight years ago, like we still could see enough in those tests to a degree to know whether or not antimicrobial use was ideal for that person. Mm. But we can, we can really see that now. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think, you know, like we've, we've said a lot that we're not we don't go in guns blazing with antimicrobials it's not an approach that we like to take with the microbiome but now again it's just as research and everything we learn evolves we're starting to understand more about these plant constituents when used you know therapeutically their Mm. effect on the microbiome as well so again like if you're someone like jess's client depending on, again, what things are looking like, you're not going to go in guns blazing mm. using any microbials mm. to treat hydrogen sulfide overgrowth or E. coli or anything like, you know, um, anything like that that's going on. Whereas my client, for example, I'm not using them at the moment, but mm. we've got the capacity to do a bit of a short, sharp dose if we need to, yep. to look at, you know, treat this meat, this methanogenic, you know, production or these ba- bacteria because her diet, her gut microbiome and diet, mm. I believe, could handle it. Do you know yep. what I mean? So, again, oh, that's where that diversity diversity and understanding that for the person when you're treating them is so fucking important yeah yeah 
And yeah, again, you're right. Like this, I've just finished putting this client's treatment plan together and there's no traditional antimicrobial use at all. Um, it's, it's coming at it from a angle of dealing with inflammation and providing a richness of particular types of antioxidants and particular types of tannins. Um, and initially, of course, this is a starting point. Um, there was a certain product that we have just ordered into the clinic that hasn't arrived yet that I actually really wanted to use and I couldn't use, which I'm a little annoyed about. <laughs> but I'm hoping to add that in next time around. FYI. Oh, I want to know what this product is. <laughs> oh, you know what it is. It's the one that we were oh. trying to order last, or we, ha- we have ordered that you put in the request for. Sorry, oh, guys. I'm being very, yeah. Very vague. <laughs> At some point, I'm sure we'll be able to talk about it. Um, sure but will. anyway, yeah, it, it very much is exactly as you said, because this client isn't someone that I would go in in that way, as mm. Chris's client could handle that, considering where her gut is at. So, yeah, berberine's so having limelight, although I think it's got yeah. a lot to do with such a tangent but ozempic being like on the market and people are like oh it's like natural ozempic i can use it to control my blood sugar levels which means ultimately if i do that i won't be hungry and i won't eat and then i'll lose weight yay oh, let's take berberine so i think there's a bit of that going on there's, um yeah, anyway there's that, <laughs> yeah i didn't even think about it from that level i was thinking about it it's getting a lot of limelight just in the microbial space at the moment as well so yeah yeah but must be maybe it is because of yeah, it's, yeah you're so this anyway probably a bit of both bit of both bit of both so guys let's talk the hows which is what you're probably here for the practicality <laughs> of like what okay You've told me I need diversity, I need richness. What do I need to do? So, eat a rainbow bar. <laughs> I just had to get it in there. <laughs> Chris's hashtag, I swear, has always been eat a rainbow. Pretty much, she is a walking rainbow. <laughs> it's like always about the color. Just basically live your life like Carissa <laughs> with color. Just be, be like me. <laughs> so diversity and richness. I guess firstly, of course, there's like the, you know, the Jess and Carissa like obvious. But of course what we're talking about is a abundant whole food base. Now what that obviously means is we're trying to encourage variety and what I want to get into more so is like, of course, we're, we've mentioned things like grains. We've mentioned we're talking about particularly plants here. So lots of different grains, different types of legumes, pulses, um, the nuts and seeds family, even lots of different varieties of fruit, vegetables, herbs, um, really including a variety of those in your diet. And then, of course, we've got our different types of fats and proteins and so forth that you would have heard us talk a lot about in our How to Eat a Macronutrients Diet, which we'll link in the show notes. But what I wanted to talk about more, because I guess, you know, you've got to have that conversation first of the diversity of all of those different types of groups is, is how we go about this. Because as I said right at the start, you can get stuck in a rut with still eating whole foods and putting together the same types of meals um, from a breakfast perspective. And, and I always say breakfast and lunch are probably the, the ones that people get stuck on the most. So 
what we want to talk about is how you can create more practical diversity within your week. And what I want you to think about is like, particularly with your breakfast, like what what are your breakfasts? Everyone tends to have a standard breakfast that they do majority of the time. Some of you might have one or two that you rotate. And then occasionally we'll see people, usually to be honest, it's after work with them for a while that may have a good three or four breakfasts that they'll rotate between. But even say you're a one breakfast a week person or two breakfast a week person, are you in a rut of using the same ingredients day to day? This I would say is the most common scenario we see because it works, it's easy, you know what you're doing, you don't have to think about it, you can just throw it together. So what we would like to challenge you to do is to think about stepping out of that in an easy, practical way. So we're not asking you to, okay, you've got to now make four different breakfasts in the week, pull out all of the recipes, use all these ingredients you've never used before. But say you're a smoothie person, there's no reason why you can't changing the change the ingredients in your smoothies every couple of days or every day kind of rotate. So that might, of course, look like different types of fruits that you use in your smoothies. Um, you might be just stuck on blueberries. I don't know how many times I see people like blueberries, 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 blueberries. Blueberries are amazing. They're fantastic. They're so good for you. But get other berries and use other berries in your smoothies, rotate them in, um, buy other types of fruits and use those in your smoothies. Think about if you're always using the same fat, you might be always using the same nut butter or avocado or coconut, like whatever it is, like think about how you can rotate fats in. Um, If you're a follower of us, you know, we're always looking at how you can get carbohydrates, a complex carb into your smoothie. So you might be stuck on the same complex carb that might be chucking oats in your smoothies. Change it up. Use some quinoa flakes. Use some buckwheat flakes. Throw in, I had some of my clients throw in like a gluten-free wheat bix every now and again. Um, Use some pre-cooked sweet potato. Um, Basically what I'm trying to show you is how you can take elements on a day-to-day basis and change them up, but still not feel like, oh my God, this is too much. Um, And what I want you to do is also think about that from a lunch perspective. So a lot of us, again, have the same types of lunches. So, you know, the same protein with the same grain and the same veggies every week. So we would encourage you again uh, to, in a practical way, just think about, all right, last week I had these veggies this week I'm going to buy and use some different veggies. Uh, last week I used quinoa. This week I'm going to use brown rice. Last week I had tuna. This week I'm going to have tofu. So we're not saying like turn it all on its head, but how can you manipulate and change the basic building blocks before we get in deeper to some other things you can do? which I have many thoughts on, but yes, I'm going to <laughs> hand over to Carissa to see what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, I think it, I think at the start off level, like that's perfect. That's what I talk to my clients about, because I think the reality of it is, is that if you make it too complicated, it stresses mm. people out. And I a hundred percent agree with that. Like, you know, there's all these beautiful, you know, ideas and challenges, like 50 veggies in a week, yes. or, you know, 50, you know, and that's fine. But like, it's, 
I hate waste. So I'm like, if you want to do that, you use every part of those 50 veggies. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, but I just, I do, I do exactly the same thing as what you were mentioning there. And I think smoothies are a great example. If you're having, if you're someone who has smoothies for breakfast, just change your fruits. Like I have a lot of frozen fruits in my freezer. Like I buy my fruit fresh and just freeze it, you know, apart from berries, I buy them, but just buy mixed berries, mangoes, bananas, all that kind of stuff. Like they're probably like a lot of things I have on rotations, but then I also change like, like for my carbs, my carbs are always different from week to week. It can be anything from just, you know, like gluten-free toast through to rice and tuna through to, um, oh gosh, what else do I do? Oats in my smoothie, sometimes banana. Like it's just that whole carb base is always really buried. And that's what I encourage my clients to do. And same if you're someone who, you know, um, you know, has toast for breakfast or even oats for breakfast just change your grains up that you're doing it with or mix your grains like I utilize the shit out of the different porridge recipes on our website because I say to a lot of my clients it's such a great way for you like especially that gluten is it the gluten-free porridge or the bircher I think a couple of them they've got a couple of those different gluten-free grains in there yeah I say to my client just use those and even if you use that as a base every week from a starch and you know fiber profile you and then change your nut butter go from like tahini to peanut butter to hazelnut butter whatever the fuck you want to do and change your fruit Go kiwi fruit, you know, berries, papaya. There's just so many different things. And if you're just thinking about it like that, that's all you need to do. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Just every time you do your shop for the week, if you know you bought kiwi fruit last week, buy papaya this week. Like it's mm-hmm. and so and exactly what you said, Jess, same with the lunches. I always encourage people to change their snacks up as well. Like I'm I'm big for seasonal fruit. Um, and I just say to people, you know, like if you're someone who loves a bliss ball, cool, have your bliss ball and stuff like that, but always try and just have a different fruit. So if apples are in season, you might eat apples one week, pears mm. the next week, you know, um, mangoes the next week. Like, and that's just on it. That's what we do. Like I just always try and buy something different. Mm. Um, I think another thing, this might be at the deeper level one, but I encourage people to buy something every week that they wouldn't normally cook with. If you're someone mm. that goes out and hand mm-hmm. selects your fruit and veggies like if that's just where you're at and you're really stuck in your right and this is the easiest thing like if you're someone who's never cooked with fennel buy fennel that week and learn how to use it if you're someone who doesn't commonly buy you know whole beetroots buy beets that those week and learn how to roast them mm. learn how to grate them raw into a salad like just really challenge yourself um and it can be really fun because you learn stuff um and and another thing that i do is um i always try to leave an element of my because i get my fruit and veg delivered i leave an element of that as the element of surprise, whatever's in season. So it forces me to use different greens, different whatever comes, herbs. And herbs are another one. Like I always mm. say to my clients, change your herbs up. Don't just always use rosemary and garlic. Like buy, order dill one week, order oregano the next week. You know, I bought a big bunch of sorrel last week with my fruit and veggie box. So I thought, oh, I haven't seen all use sorrel for ages. So, you know, so it's just all that kind of stuff. Just keep it coming. Like you can still make your meals fundamentally the same in terms of structure, but just change the ingredients. Yeah. No, love it. You, um, you saw, you stole my favorite at the end there too, which is herbs. Um, and even when you're saying changing your herbs up, which I couldn't agree more with, I think there's a lot, a lot of people that actually just don't use herbs. Um, so one of the things that I'll do is just encourage clients to use fresh herbs and just to get as you said just something new that you don't usually do so it might be maybe of course say it's parsley like you've had parsley before but when did you last buy parsley like actively buy a bunch of parsley this week and use that in your salads like use it as a green 
in ways you would use other greens usually. And next week, buy a bunch of basil because people will, I think sometimes, as you said, too wastage and we're not, herbs are expensive. If you don't have them in the garden, like we don't want you to go out and buy like four to five different bunches of herbs because most people will probably not use that and it'll rot in the fridge. And then they're like, I tried buying herbs and it just rots and it's expensive. So just buy one a week and use it that week and then rotate. So there's there's so much variety and abundance that's out there that we get so stuck in our own lane. We shop, we buy the same things every week. We pick up the same fruit and veg. As Carissa said, just think and stop for a moment and go, that's a fennel. I've never used that before. What's the worst that could happen if I put that in my shopping this week? Take it home and try and cook it or look up some recipes. Worst thing that could happen, I don't like it. That's fine. At least you know. But chances are, once you look up a recipe and find out how to cook it and what to do with it, you're probably going to like it. So, you know, there's it's almost like there's this fear that stops people, but also I would say it's more stuck in a routine. So, you know, that that baseline variety and just pushing a little bit to think about how you can create more variety in your weeks is absolute baseline and it doesn't have to be every single day but I think if you can think even weekly and rotational because a lot of us plan our foods and we might do batch cooking how we can rotate it and then lean into the seasons a bit more if that works for you not everyone has that luxury but if you have the option for buying more seasonally that will naturally force you um, or force your hand a little bit the deeper level stuff is tied into what we see with testing um so basically we've alluded to a lot we've talked a lot about polyphenols and and tannins so particular types of foods um that are rich in polyphenols we've we've mentioned things like resistant starch um basically what we can do is and this is where testing is great again because if we see a lack of abundance in certain areas we can lean into these foods but I'd also say that there's no loss at all in including these foods on a regular basis and knowing that they're doing good for your diversity so when we talk about resistant starch your classic foods that a lot of you may already know about is your different types of grains and starchy veg but your classics would be like your cooked and cooled potato and your rices particularly cooked and cooled which perfect for your lunches and your lunch preps your bananas your classic just right banana so buying your bananas just before they turn into that beautiful mushiness that works well in banana cake get them a few days before peel them put them in the freezer so they're ready for your smoothies um that that group is wonderful. Um, Carissa mentioned earlier, goss foods. Goss foods are our legumes um, in particular. There's a little bit more movement in that area. But if you're not someone that uses legumes um, and the reason you don't use them isn't because they give you gut issues, just because you're just like, I just don't buy them. Like think about exploring what you can do with legumes, whether it's starting with hummus or whether it's just trying some lentils thrown into a bolognese so that goss foods is going to feed up a particular type of microbial picture in your gut. Um, I mean, polyphenols and tannins, 
Ugh, where do you even start? Like realistically, that's where I would always encourage again, all that diversity of fruit and veggies. But some of my favorites would be, um, I love the citrus family and like using the zest. So instead of just juicing and um, using your lemons and limes, like grating the zests and putting them into your dishes can be amazing. Um, all of the kind of like red and orange, sorry, not more red and purple. I was thinking purple, I said orange, but <laughs> red <laughs> and purple fruit. So lots of different berries and like going and buying berries with different mixes in them. Um, anything, I always think of tannins as anything that's got that taste to it. So things with seeds, like, you know, when you have like those grapes and you bite into the seeds and you're like, whoa, like that's that sort of stuff. Um Campari. No, just joking. (laughs) (laughs) The Campari and apricot cake on the website is rich in tannins. (laughs) Green tea. Well, what are your favourites? I mean, there's so many, but they're probably some of mine. Matcha, of course, got to say it. Um, I like which food group are we talking in? Are we just talking about different types of foods? You oh, did you, still, your screen, did you go away then? Your screen went black. Yeah, yeah well, you, I didn't go anywhere. You, it just froze. So I kind of missed, I, I clicked that you were talking about polyphenols and stuff because I heard you say the grapes and stuff. But yeah, like I, it just went a bit funny. So yeah, we're getting a bit of, um, bit of freezing. Um, yeah, polyphenols. I was just listing my favorite polyphenol foods. I'm not saying there's so many of them, but what are your, do you have some favorites that you love to use? Oh, hey there. Wow, we're really dying. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It says it's all like uploading and stuff fine, but it's, I don't know. Um, yeah, when you were speaking we before, mention- it was fr- freezing. Mm. Um, anyway, I was just going to say um, cacao is kind of like one that, you know, from a polyphenol point of view, it's not for everyone, obviously, like not everyone, but yeah, cacao is a beautiful one. Like, you know, just for people making their bliss balls and, and hot chockies and collagen hot chockies in the afternoon. Like, I feel like that's one that I feel like most people are really happy to add to their diet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, pomegranates <laughs> as well. Like I love, like, I love um, that whole, and even um, like getting like pomegranates through salad and encouraging people to add fruit to salad, like just some berries or, you know, I had like, I know it's not a polyphenol per se, but um, ruby grapefruit in salads, like just mm, different yum. ways you can. Yeah. And actually we made a salad and again, it's more, it's a pectin rich food, but different. Um, But we did, I put pear into a salad the other night, like just sliced up a, like sliced up pear wedges and put that through a salad. Um, And it was really yum. yummy as well. So just, yeah, just I always think of it like a because it tastes delicious, but from a prebiotic point of view, yeah. it just encourages people to eat things a bit differently to what they normally do. Exactly. Yeah. So look, guys, what we would encourage you to do because we could talk about this till the cows come home, but we're wanting to give you some practical ideas there. What we want to encourage you to do is go to the shops wherever you buy your fruit and veg and your grains and your seeds and so forth. And we want you to think this week about what is new to me? What's something new that I can buy and buy it? And then if you're not sure what to do, just head to the website and type it in. There'll be a recipe that'll pop up. Give it a go. I promise you it'll taste yummy. (laughs) Unless you fundamentally don't like the ingredient, I promise the recipe will be delicious. Um, And just, just repeat, repeat it. 
each week. Let's just try something new. Um, and you'll slowly start adding to your repertoire. Think about some of those tips that we've mentioned with breakfast and lunch and how you, any of them that resonate with you and just start making some of those fundamental changes. Start there. Um, if you want to know more about the specifics of my, your microbiome, um, and obviously we've alluded to that with testing, that's where, of course, you can put in some um, queer, uh, some questions or queries with the clinic or contact us through our socials. And if it's something that you're wanting to explore, just um, come along to the clinic, make a booking. Like you don't have to be you don't have to be unwell to look at this with your health. We have clients that will come along and do this test to see where their gut health is at and they just want to know how they can maximise their, their health and what's what some ways they can work with their diet in a more individualised way. So if that's you too, like don't think that's not an option. Um, mm. But otherwise, unless you've got anything else, I think we might wrap her up. No, I don't. I think, yeah, I think we covered it all. I think, yeah. Well. Did you have any recommendations <laughs> before we sign off? Uh, well, I was just thinking, like, find someone who can knit after our knitting <laughs> conversation. Like, <laughs> because I feel like it's so uncanny that both of us have got things this week that our mumsies made us. Um, and, yeah, and mum's just right on the knitting bandwagon at the moment. Like, she's knitting my nephews all these gorgeous little jumpers and stuff. And, anyway, so... I'm like, if you can't find someone that knits for you and your family, maybe instead of buying a knit from like, you know, just somewhere that's, you know, a bit more, what would you say, like commercial, find something in a nice little shop that someone's made from hand or something like that and just keep it forever. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. Love it. Love it. You know what I'm going to recommend that we've mentioned throughout this podcast because I just feel like a lot of people just don't have it is fennel. You mentioned it yourself. My recommendation is fennel. It's just, it is such a beautiful, beautiful vegetable. If you haven't tried it, buy a fennel bulb, won't bite, take it home, give it a rinse because sometimes there's some dirt hiding under that first skin. Um, Cut it up, cut out, cut that core bit out of the middle just cut it up into some quarters, um, toss it in some salt, some pepper, some olive oil and roast it in the oven with your other roast veggies. It. It's delicious. It's got an oniony flavor when it's roasted. It'll lose its aniseedy flavor if you don't like that. And then conversely, don't put it in the oven, wash it, get rid of the dirt, slice it really finely, except for the bulb bit in the middle, toss it in a salad with some lemon, some olive oil, some citrus wedges, just really simple like that. Maybe a little bit of avocado. Oh my God. Delicious. So (laughs) my recommendation is fennel. Plus it's like abundant at the moment. So it's perfect. Perfect. I I don't, I don't think anyone who I've recommended fennel to has tried it and told me they don't like it. Like I know there's people that actually don't like it, the odd person. And that's fine. I respect that. Totally cool. But people who haven't tried it and I'm like, go and try it. And then they do exactly what you just said. That's my way. That's exactly what I say. So I'm just roasted up olive oil, come back and they are totally on the fennel train. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Particularly if they can't eat onion, like if they've got issues with onion, Mm. it's such a good substitute. Yeah. Anyway, guys, thanks heaps for listening. We hope you've enjoyed today and we hope you've got some really good tips and that we have encouraged you to change up your smoothie or change up your grains, whatever it might be. Try some legumes. 
get a little bit of extra gas production happening as a result. (laughs) (laughs) But um, as always, thanks for joining us. If you've got any suggestions or any topics you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. Share the podcast. Um, That love that you share when you pop us up on your stories on Insta, um, yeah, brings us lots of joy. So please continue. But have a good day and we will catch you next time. See you later. Bye.